Well, hello, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another one-to-one podcast. And today I'm joined by James Norwood, who's EVP Strategy and CMO at Episerver. Welcome, James. Thanks for having me, Kim. Pleasure. Uh, We've spoken a number of times in the past. We've met, of course, and talked about Episerver, which um, you were just reminding me before we started. It's been been around for quite a few years now, but I thought it would be good to set the scene by... Actually, I'm going to quote your words back to you by locating Episerver in the ecosystem and what it does. One of the things you told me, I think, last time we spoke is you don't try to be all things to all people. But nevertheless, at the same time, you're not a point solution. You're much more than that. Right. So try and set the scene a little bit for us. Yes. Uh, Yeah, it's a a great question. And, you know, our our vision at Episerver has has always been to help our customers to realize their ideas as fast as possible. We, we tend to serve those businesses that are kind of mid-sized, rapidly growing. They want to be digitally savvy, but they don't necessarily always have the, the full marketing maturity they need to get there. Um, so our, our job has really been to help them to deliver some immersive digital experiences, if you will, that, that create a bit of a value exchange with their customers. I mean, they're not the Amazon.coms of the world. They're people that are creating a sort of brand loyalty or brand affinity through experiences online. So how do we position ourselves in the ecosystem? We created a platform that was um, predicated on content, so content, web content management is where we came from, but we rapidly found that to help them move as fast as possible, we needed to let them do more than that. So today it's about... How can they smartly manage content, commerce, and marketing right. in the cloud? And, and the cloud bit is important because that's how they can move fast. That's how they can be dynamic because they're not held back by sort of more traditional on-premise software. So that was our vision. And uh, really, that's the platform that we do. But because we work with these sort of mid-sized companies that are moving fast, they they're always going to have a lot of other technology. Um, Again, they're marketers that want to play with stuff. There's a lot of promises. um, So it can be a bit overwhelming. And so our job is to kind of play it both ways, Kim, is to say, we've got this platform that's super enabling for you, but it's going to work well with your existing CRM system. And it's going to work well if you've already got a marketing an email management platform. Um, And although our platform's been getting a little bit bigger, Mm -hmm. um, we do keep it focused on the core need of saying, how do we get these um, digitally savvy or maturing digital um, marketing organizations to perform well online? And that's interesting because something I've learned really working in this space is that quite well-known brands, brands which are household names, when you come to look at their marketing departments and their marketing effort, are kind of on the mid-market. They they can be quite lean and you know, quite small, can't they? So is, yeah. is those are the kinds of brands you're looking for? They, they are, and I mean, you only have to look at Episerver to mm. see a company that looks like the company we sell to. I'm a CMO. I have a, I have a, uh, a team that is um, overburdened with business demands, including my own, um, and we, we just need to get stuff done. We need to get things done fast. We need to support the business's goals, and there's a plethora of technology out there to help us do it, and you've got to stay focused. So it's not a massive team. Um, we do spend a lot of our marketing discretionary marketing budget on technology because we believe that's the way it can help us, just as a lot of our customers do. So, yes, they're not always that large, but they're looking for technology as a way to help them get an edge in a market where maybe they're up against much bigger competitors like my Amazon example. Right. So I, I, I see this as, see if you agree with me, as a kind of a middle way between having, I was going to say a clutter, that's probably unfair, um, a, a heap of 
point solutions which you've picked off the shelf and they're all from different vendors and you stick them together. Or on the other hand, if you can afford it, a massive marketing exactly. suite. See, this is more kind of a, a way through the middle, isn't it? It's a midway, as, exactly as you point out, Kim, and, and that, that appeals to, to the mid-market because, as you say, at, at the lower end, you can maybe do it all in one person's package and at the higher end, you, you would look at one of the mega-suite vendors and you can afford the multi-years and the, the multi-million dollars to roll that out and that's great if, if you're a big major brand but if you're in that mid-market you're, you're always going to be challenged with we, we're going to choose a couple of best of breed things because they're just the right thing for us to get things done but how do we pull it together easily cost effectively and in a way that we can remain productive and not not um, overburdened by that technology because again they, they've got limited IT resources they're probably funding it all through um, through OPEX as well. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong, I imagine this is primarily aimed at B2C. Are you doing B2B as well? Um, interestingly, at, at Epic Server, we, we, we are a mix, um, but it, it's, it's kind of a, a B2C orientation. So a lot of retailers, um, yeah. a lot of business-to-consumer companies as a whole. But one of the things we specialize in is helping B2B organizations, brand manufacturers, for example, mm-hmm. Um, to become more B2C-like. So um, many of them are looking to digitally transform a little bit, introduce some new business models like go direct-to-consumer, and it's like how do they make that first step? Well, they have to look a little bit more like a B2C company. Right. So we help them with that transformation. So we do have B2B customers, but typically it's, it's those that are looking to be, again, a little bit more like a B2C, and then the rest of our customers are, yeah. Yeah, I think we are seeing the lines... The lines blurring to some extent, aren't we? Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's talk about web content management because that's always been, you know, the heart of what Episode has been doing. And piece of news uh, we didn't catch up about, uh, it happened back in September, no, sorry, in August this year, was acquisition of Perius. And from what I've been reading... That's related to the personalization of web content, would that be right? Right, yes, exactly. So again, this is, this is part of our vision to, to help um, you know, the, these, these, these busy marketers and merchandisers to get their work done fast. And, and for us, we actually, we actually looked hard at the market and we, we saw that there was a lot of promises being made, and there are a lot of promises made by software vendors around what analytics can do for you. So whether you call it business intelligence or actionable intelligence, there's lots of names for it. There's lots of cool visualization tools that I'm showed as a CMO often. They say, this is what it'll tell you about the business. But, but it puts the emphasis back on you to then actually go take that action. It doesn't do anything for you. It just right. kind of tells you. So it ends up kind of becoming shelfware because you focus on the fundamentals, get, getting the pipeline growing, getting, yeah, getting things moving leads to the sales force, that sort of thing. So with us, what we saw in Pyrrhus was a third generation um, machine learning technology uses algorithms and big data, and we, we, we did realized it could be a way to automate a lot of the tasks that are often promised by these business intelligence things, but then you have to go to yourself. And so if we could do that, and we call it autonomous personalization, it would free up these marketers, the merchandisers, the digital uh, commerce folks to actually then focus on what is more strategic to them in, in getting their work done. And that that was really why we, we went to them. It wasn't just about personalizing your product recommendations or, or contextual content, whether that's an email or social web. It was about, let's automate a lot of that. Let's show you how it can make better decisions around customer behavior and intent, predict that, and then make the right decisions for you and leave you to do the things that are more important. 
And of course, you can always override that with your own specific yeah. rules for the exceptions rather than the norm. But it's, I guess it's a form of embedded artificial intelligence, isn't it? Which has been very much a buzz phrase in 2016. There's no getting away from it. But um, it's something which I think a lot of vendors are, are wanting to show as part of their offering these days. Mm-hmm. As you say, that you have some algorithms in there so yeah. that... It's in a way it kind of teaches you what you should be doing rather than you having to figure yes. it out yourself. At and, and can do it for you. So yeah. yes, I, you know, I, I'm guilty as charged of jumping <laughs> on the artificial intelligence bandwagon, but you know, we we are using that um, yeah. discreetly and powerfully in the background. And you know, it's quite simple. And you you could often say, well, why do people believe that some kind of a black box algorithm is going to going to be able to do their job better than them? And you can say, well. Just A-B test it. We have built-in A-B testing as standard in, our, in all of our platform. You can say, let's, let's see how this content or this particular product offer um, performs based on what the algorithm says versus what you come up with. And the algorithm usually wins. And as yeah. soon as they see, you know, 5, 10, 15% increase in average order value because of it, the, the argument ends. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's basic. And to be honest, you don't want to look into the black box. I've looked in there, and it's really complicated. <laughs> Um, now, another piece of uh, piece of good news, I'll blow your trumpet for you. In September, Gartner, they released the Magic Quadrant for Web Content Management. And um, second year, you were named as one of the leaders. Must be pretty happy with that. Yes, very, very happy with that. You know, we're, we're fortunate to have been recognized by Gartner in, in that Magic Quadrant. We were also in another, we are in the Digital Commerce one and mm-hmm. the, the Portals one, and we were about to debut in their um, multi-channel campaign management one as well. So that's all great recognition of, uh, of our brand starting to become, I think, more um, better known on a, on a global basis. Um, but, but for me, the, the leadership in the web content management quadrant is testimony to our execution more than I think our vision Um, we've always been fairly visionary from a Gartner perspective um, but we never really had the execution to to back that up and over the last couple of years all the work that we've done globally to invest in the company to help establish it and grow it in markets to focus it um, our acquisition both organically and and inorganically Mm -hmm. how we've executed I think they've recognized that and at the end of the day, they're only going to respond based on the, um, speaking to customer references and how many inquiries they get coming into them about you. So if that's on the increase, um, then that tells them that you're, you're going in the right direction. So That's good news. And you mentioned the, the global um, presence. Give our listeners a sense of where EpiServer is to be found. That's another complicated question, isn't it? Yeah, well... Uh, we are global, and, um, but you know we do have our major hubs. So you know we, we're uh, from a North American perspective, we we have more than 100 people, for example, up in the Northeast in the, in the sort of Boston, Massachusetts metro area, New Hampshire way. Um, we have uh, a fairly large office in Chicago as well as here in New York in Manhattan, um, and and then smaller satellite offices around the country. So it's kind of a Midwest and Northeast is where our right. brand is known better. In Scandinavia, for example, we're, we're also a household name. It's yes. part of the company originated there, and um, you know that we, we, we're a market leader in Sweden, Norway, Denmark, um, Finland, uh, and the like. But then we also have employees over in Asia Pacific, in Australia, um, in Vietnam. We have more than 50 people. They're all employees. Um, so, yeah, we've been, we've been growing. 
Um, we see North America as, as, as our growth market where we have a lot more upside, um, but we're very strong in Europe as well. But uh, more, than, more than 500 employees now. Okay. Um, and, you know, I understand you have to be a little bit cagey about the roadmap to the extent it's not yet revealed, but is there anything you can tell me about what you're looking at down the road kind of movements you might make? Uh, yes, uh, always tricky. I mean, you know, we've, we've obviously accelerated our roadmap in, in recent months anyway through a number of um, very targeted, very strategic acquisitions. And they, they weren't just sudden. We'd been in the market for 18 months uh, pursuing you know, machine learning technology, for right. example. And more recently, our, um, our sort of multi-channel campaign management. So we, we're helping customers so well interact and engage in social, in mobile, in, in web, even in store, but we didn't really have a, a visual tool to help them design and orchestrate those interaction Absolutely. paths and yeah. then to continuously engage. So we are continuing to, so both the acquisitions we made have have helped us improve our sort of event triggering capability and our predictive analytics capability. And so then for the next um, three, six, and nine months, we have a series of deliverables just to bring all of that closer together and make it work in a more streamlined fashion for customers. Um, but, you know, you never say never. There's lots There's lots more to do. Um, we have other plans for sure. Um, there are other parts of the core platform that we, we'd like to elevate and, and make stronger. But uh, for now, it's about um, take some of this fantastic technology we've got and make sure it's delivering for our customers in every every possible way. Very good. Well, James, I'm sure we'll be catching up again further down the road to see how it's going. Thanks for joining us for this. Thanks very much, Kim. And everyone, just keep on looking out for the next one-on-one podcast. Thanks for listening.